I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Producer Giles here, just to let you know, this is part two of a supersized episode on... Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Gia heart attack. If you haven't heard part one yet, you might want to go back and have a listen. Otherwise, enjoy the rest of the episode. Let's get back to the works now with uh, Roger Taylor composition, 2 minutes 48, uh, Tenement Funster. Now, I have to say a little thing about Tenement Funster. Uh, I know it's Tenement Funster, but when I was a kid, uh, I called it Tenement Funster. And as a result, (laughs) for my entire life since I was 13 years old, in my head, I call it Tenement Funster, which I know it's wrong. (laughs) I know it's Tenement Funster, but if I accidentally say Tenement Funster, you're going to find me going Tenement, Tenement, Tenement... So just bear with me on that, please. It's just it's a good it's just time, really though, difficult yeah. to do with the song. Yeah, he's a teenager, right? Yeah, that'll do. Ellis uh, Ellis James, my radio co-host, finds the title of this song hilarious. <laughs> and it's it's his sort of reference point for when he's if he's being mean about Queen, he he will bring up Tenement Funster because he thinks it sounds sort of so so like late sixties, early seventies, cool. <laughs> to use the word funster but um, this uh, this song was behind my first ever sartorial act of rebellion oh really so e- even though i'm 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 someone who likes to um play by uh, uh, observe and enforce most laws when i was at school <laughs> i was quite extravagant in my dress at times so especially around like when it was all Blur and Oasis, and I was into Queen and Pulp. I, w- I would, 
I w- once wore like leather studded dog collars and non-uniform day <laughs> and um, I had a Mohican and used to wear a velvet jacket at sixth <laughs> form and <laughs> but I I purchased age 12 or my mum did a pair of purple size 7 Dr Martins because of this song oh. um and so I would be in my school uniform you know the sort of cheap synthetic black trousers yeah. white shirt and school tie um but with a pair of purple Dr. Martins poking out from the bottom. And I kept them for years because I'm glad to report I'm no longer a size seven. <laughs> but they were in the they were in my wardrobe as a reminder of not just this song, but of uh, your own origins. Trying to spread spread my wings a bit clothing wise. Uh, <laughs> did you ever get in trouble for wearing purple Dr. Martins? The de- on non-uniform day, I wore a tie-dyed metallic, a long sleeve top with uh, leather studded wristbands, dog collar, and the school went not the school, but the pupils in school went absolutely ape. Really? <laughs> they, had, they had never seen, heard, imagined anything as crazy, bullyable, controversial oh. as someone wearing studded leather dog collars and bracelets, to the extent of which I actually stayed in DT at lunch and break time to avoid. Uh, In your fine outfit. In my fine outfit, yeah. Everyone else is just wearing trainers and sort of tracksuits. Kappa. Yeah. Oh, big Kappa town. A lot of Kappa. (laughs) See, that explains why you have all these hang ups. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, let's have a look at Tenement Monster. It's the start of a three song medley, which is followed by Flick of the Wrist and Lily of the Valley, which we'll listen to in a sec. And so, Tin Dreams, people think that it was originally a working title, but apparently. The working titles are actually Young and Crazy and Teen Dreams. Yes. And John, John Deacon, played acoustic guitar on the track because Brian was ill. And although Brian did still play some of the different guitars on the track, but a lot of this is John, uh, which right. is really exciting. Yeah. My new purple shoes been amazing to people next door And my rock and roll 45 Been enraging the folks on the love floor I got away with the girls on my block Trying my best to be a real individual Say that my hair's a disgrace Oh, just find me an open car I'll make the speed up 
that's when it starts mm-hmm. to blend into flick of the wrist. Uh, how phenomenal a song, a pure rock and roll song that I, I love so so much. Uh, uh, it, it just uh, has a profound resonance for me this track um and that lovely moment when uh, he first talks about uh, you know getting a fast car and take the speed of light out, out making the speed mm. of light out of this place and then brian's guitar solo here isn't a melodic solo it is a load of cars rent it's the car making the speed of light out of this place it's mm. amazing and also that sort of moment where he has that where brian does almost like a backing vocal with his guitar where he goes do 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 mm. around that back of the uh, the whatever it is the the, the chorus thing. Um, what a stunning song! How do you guys feel about it? Well, I'm just thrilled that Roger's finally written a song that he's not going to kill himself doing live. <laughs> <laughs> Did they play it live, Matt? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. I can't remember. I'll find out while you're talking. All right. Twitter will tell us. Yeah. <laughs> well, they must. We'll have. find they out. Have. We'll definitely what? find out. What I really like about it is, A, it's one of Roger's rockers, and you can totally imagine him doing it with the cross or as a solo song. And I think if Queen had never happened, Roger would have written this song for a Mm. band, whatever band he was in. Right. But I also like that, you know, he was born in Norfolk and grew up in Cornwall. So even... So this is a song about wanting to escape from a certain life but i've got a suspicion that even the life he wanted to escape from is sort of a fantasy as well because mm. it's like an an imagination of the tenements which is an which, urban landscape I'm, rather than yeah which i'm guessing <laughs> was maybe a fantasy he had as a kid in cornwall was wanting to be in a tenement that he could then want to escape from <laughs> but it's got the classic roger themes uh, guitars cars girls and um good hair and and hair yeah and an amazing <laughs> groove as well my god yeah it's sort of a precursor to drowse could i be so bold uh, mm-hmm. okay well because drowse <laughs> is not i can't believe i'm going to say this drowse is the nostalgic tenement funster oh right okay <laughs> i could be so bold oh, yeah. so drowse is probably looking back on the life in Tenement Funster he wanted to escape with um, rose-tinted glasses. Right, mm. right. That's yeah. Maybe at the other end of the lifetime. I think the, yeah. the the lovely thing about that that landscape that you're talking about, that sort of it, that seventies sort of it's all. It could be New York. It could be you know the year of Son of Sam or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, there's this really distinct uh, texture to the song that really places it in its time and. Mm. Is is just evocative every time I hear about it. You don't hear this approach in rock songs very much, the because it's a well worn trope in rock of like I got to get out of this two bit town, sure. and he's saying that, but there's also this element where he realizes he's the hottest fish in this little pond, right. so maybe kind of likes it. Yeah. So, so uh, there's like a real melancholia with it for there me because I hear it is and you go, oh, in 20 years, you're just going to be in some dull job that you hate, some boring marriage that you hate. And you're just going to think back to all those times where all the girls used to see you walk into Smokies and go, oh, here he is, let's go with the pebble shoes. Mm. <laughs> that's 
that's this song. Yeah. I think it's I think it's amazing. It's yeah. so multi-layered and I think the chords particularly on the verses are stunning. Absolutely. I've stolen them before. <laughs> yeah. But that, who's going to know? It's sort of that is who's it, gonna is know? it arpeggiation where that sort of ding ding mm-hmm. ding ding ding. Yeah, they it's like folk. <laughs> right. Arpeggios, right. but it's a rock song. Right. Yeah. yeah what, absolutely. What's Freddie doing while this is being recorded? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is I, mean, I was going to ask you this. Who do you think does that little young and the crazy? Is it Roger? I thought or Fred? it was Roger, but I just heard it then and was like, oh, is it Freddie? I, I think Fred. that's definitely Roger. Right. It's too high for Freddie. Is it though? Yeah. I don't know. I could hear him um, pushing it. You could hear him pushing the sound up if he lowered I his larynx. I think that's got, there's Roger's boyish uh, tones and that young and yeah. crazy. I think you're right. And it, again, you know, we've just heard it on Brighton Rock and, 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 and the playfulness on Killer Queen. That little moment there is is actually outrageous. It's really mm-hmm. funny and what the hell? And, you know, they yeah, always surprise Yeah, it's up there with us. gimme fried chicken. Yes, yeah. yes. Always do something that will surprise, uh, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. I feel like we've lost Simon to... Uh, to Google, to I'm lists back. Of, uh, of 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 live sets, I can't find it anywhere on the Queen live set. They did it as a BBC session. Okay. Uh, oh, that's on the deluxe album, isn't it? Yeah, so that's very different. Um, but apparently, Roger did um, perform it live uh, in the nineties when he was doing his own so tours post Queen with Freddie. I've been to see the. Across it never occurred to me to go and see. I love no. Mad, Bad, and Dangerous Tonight, uh, and I love this song. Mm. And I, uh, you know, if we are thinking about our, um, you know, individual compilations of John songs and Brian songs and maybe Freddie songs, but certainly Roger songs, the the, the Roger Taylor mixtape that I would make, however many times I made it, would always start with Tenement Funster every time. I just mm-hmm. oh, it would make me put the tape on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah absolutely adore it completely adore it and i would say maybe actually probably one of my all-time favorite queen songs actually tenement punster that's how highly i love listening to it anytime it's I awesome it. i think it's such mature songwriting um from from a guy who yeah like you say his themes tend to be cars and girls and uh great hair but He's written this. I I don't know. Maybe I'm putting too much meaning on the song, but I hear like a real sad looking back um, song here. Yeah, yeah, there's real pathos, real pathos going mm. on, and it's there is a melancholy to it, and 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 it isn't a rocker in that sense. It is actually, I suppose, mm. technically a ballad <laughs> in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it mm. just has so much more teeth than that, and it's phenomenal. so short as well. He yeah. packs it all in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm just going to press play on a YouTube video to see if Queen did in fact play Tenement Funster live. Do you want me to stop the share so you can start the share? No, they didn't. It's one of those ones. It's that. No, no, cancel (laughs) that. It's one of those ones where someone says it is, but it's actually just stock footage of the band at live gigs. Oh, right. Uh, A song played over the top. Which I would like to to ban them. Yeah, £10,000 fine for them. Yeah, yeah, that's ridiculous, that stuff. Well, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next delectable track on this album, the mighty 
Flick of the Wrist, uh, which was written by Freddie Mercury. It's 3 minutes 17. It was released as a double A-side with Killer Queen on October the 11th in the UK. So technically, uh, Flick of the Wrist got to number two in the UK and number 12 in the US. <laughs> um, it is obviously the middle of this three-song medley, so they all blend into each other. So you guys listening need to check that out and listen to all these three songs with Lily of the Valley. Um as, as one really it's uh, fantastic um, the, they were recorded separately and later mixed together to create the, the Unbroken medley which meant the record company had to sort of find uh, points to separate each of the track on the CDs uh, later on uh, but Flick of the Wrist right, Freddie explained that the unpleasant character in the song was not based on any one particular uh, this is uh, Flick of the Wrist. I wrote it as a sort of tongue-in-cheek story about the con men and rip-off artists we're always running into. Our manager would like to think it's about him, but it isn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, when Brian returned to work from uh, Hepatitis, he hadn't heard the song before he just sat there and recorded his guitar and backing vocals. So I was like, literally, right, there's this song. Time for you to play, Brian. And he just went, yeah, all right, and I'll sing along as well. Uh, which is really, really impressive. Uh, absolutely adore this song. Um, so I've got two nice fat chunks of this track um, to listen to. One of the second of which I think contains one of my favourite one of my favourite moments in um, in all of Queen. Actually, are, are you starting with the, the opening of this? I am. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, no, because I just want to say anyone who is listening to this podcast who's ne- never heard this song before. You're in for a real treat with these lyrics. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So yeah. brace yourself. Yeah. your spine come on <laughs> it's uh, such an extraordinary song isn't it it just goes to crazy crazy places who's uh, a yeah. big flick of the wrist fan oh yeah <laughs> it's like death on two legs but madder <laughs> i used to think it was literally about satan i thought this was a song about satan and there's a band called coven who they're not very well known, but they had one hit, and it's it's called One Tin Soldier, and it, the chorus of it's quite well known. It's that one that goes, "Go ahead and kill your neighbor, go ahead and cheat a friend." I don't know if you know it, but it's from the early seventies. It's not representative of the band. Most of their stuff sounds exactly like the verse of Flick of the Wrist, so I recommend it. 
that really like super gothic <laughs> drama um almost horror and then the chorus of flick of the wrist goes like yeah like you say completely unexpected it's yeah. like absolute bop yeah and i love the um piano that precedes the song really getting into gear it's like i call it like pop mozart it's such a cool wow. little bit of piano it is gorgeous piano that's why i included it that's obviously the mm. segue or as sean would have it the sieg from uh, the um <laughs> from 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 tenement funds the tenement funds and god damn it into <laughs> god <laughs> I deserve that. I deserve that. Uh, into this, and it is just such a lovely run. Yeah, you just oh, the things that these guys can do. I, I, uh, can I shock you? Go on. I'm not a huge fan of Flick of the Wrist. Oh, I'm a fan of it. I'm not a huge, not a huge fan, fan of it. Yeah, kind of like where I was on White Queen compared to you guys, I guess. <laughs> right. I, 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 there's something about the chorus of the. Just when they go, flicker the wrist, it almost feels a bit like quite like a tra- traditional... Bit cheesy? So, I, I don't want the word filler to enter my vocabulary at any point, but it's floating on the periphery ah. of my vocabulary. And I just... It feels in that bit like quite a common sort of song... Uh, structure, but I love, I do love the the opening verse, and I love the language, and I love the sort of weird, almost sort of sexual hatred mm. of of the tone of voice. Mm. But I, I'm, I don't. The chorus doesn't do it for me. I have to say. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. <laughs> even not even when it, the drums going to double time and it's going. Yeah, I think I've got a bit of a tin ear for songs about bands hating their management. (laughs) (laughs) There are a few artists who are guilty of writing quite a lot of songs about the music industry, and I tend to go, well, come on, mate. Van Morrison's a good example in in later works, all about how he's been ripped off by people, and you think, hey, you're doing all right, mate. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting, though, isn't it? Because we are seeing a move, aren't we, from... For them to start writing about their own experiences as ever. I mean, as Rose said at the beginning, Freddie was like, no, this isn't about a manager. This is just about con artists and rip off merchants. But they will have come across people like that, even in their short career to date. Um, I mean, interestingly, I mean, Freddie's 28 at this point. Brian's a year younger and then Roger's 25 and John's only 23. But Jesus, they sort of still relatively young but starting to write about stuff that's happened to them i mean we'll see this more in now i'm here which was very much brian reflecting back on that mot the hoople us tour um whereas beforehand it's all been about fairies and ogres and paintings and things like that i'd only barely got laid by 23 and john's already played on killer queen <laughs> <laughs> pull your finger I've out done right nothing with my life. Up to do. <laughs> phenomenal uh absolutely phenomenal let's 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 listen to this bit because i think even for you john surely <laughs> this bit is... i'm not saying i dislike i, it, I understand what you're coming why from. do you hate <laughs> what is it about queen you don't like john <laughs> No, no, I get it completely. There are there are songs along the way where you just don't have the same level of connection to it. And yeah, wait till we get to challenge. the miracle. Oh yeah, <laughs> maybe John should take a day off from the miracle. 
<laughs> all right, let's listen to this wonderful. This I think contains one of my favourite moments in all of Queen. That's straight out of Queen 2, that bit. So it's almost like I'm not quite sure the song makes sense in and of itself. Because that, that guitar sound of Brian, where it sounds like he's almost slightly in the distance or in, in a in a different room, mm. that, that could that could be on that could be on March of the Black Queen or um any number of Queen 2 tracks. Mm. I just don't f- and that doesn't quite fit with the more like slightly more mainstream for want of a better word feeling of the chorus uh, uh, uh. and then the piano intro is, is a there's an awful lot of ideas in that song uh. and i'm not sure it, it makes a a sort of a perfect whole it doesn't blend especially especially you know when you're talking about the same album as killer queen uh. mm. or now i'm here even uh. wow well there you go. i mean there you go. Uh, yeah as a counterpoint to that i've got to say i think you know that that the, the monstrousness of the verse actually I find challenging more than the right. chorus element, but certainly that bit where they kind of do that key change and it's a revival, and then whatever I can't quite think what the word is—is is it a revival or something like that—and uh, and then they just have that dum 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 just—it's so exhilarating and goosebumpy and I just absolutely adore the rush of it and I think you're right I think there are moments uh, on Black Queen and and um, other songs actually even um, My Fairy King and stuff that have that little element but you know that there is a lot on Sheer Heart Attack that is bridging from where they were in Queen 2 into where they're about to be on Night of the Opera um, you know and so you are still getting these fantasy elements and you are still getting those traditional queen sounds but for me just that little burst there is yeah. absolutely one of my favorite moments in all of queen a bit like that lovely little what's your favorite little moment in the middle of um my fairy uh, no the fairy fellas masterstroke there's a particular oh, moment yeah. in that isn't there that you just yeah, adore yeah. so yeah that's my one <laughs> um, yeah it's now time to do the news of the world Yay. come on honey So, the 5th of September 2020, oh. dear Fred, would have been 74 this year, so let's Crikey just have a moment Moses. to wish that dear man a happy birthday. Um, bless you, Freddie. Thank you for everything. He's still so young. I know. I know. Mm. I know. And had he, you know, had we 
the medical technology we have now, yeah, he absolutely would have been with us yeah. for years. So, um, But, you know, that is a result. That is part of his legacy, uh, which is a wonderful thing. He's helped a lot of people uh, with that awful disease. Yeah. So what a wonderful thing uh, to just remember that for a moment. And I like that we've sort of had all their birthdays. They've grouped their birthdays handily for us, which is a very nice thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, on the 9th of September this year, uh, Variety put Live at Wembley in their 50 best live albums of all time. Which, there's no order to it, but it's just 50 greatest live mm-hmm. albums. So that's been put on, which is lovely. Uh, and on the 11th of September, the... Uh, Mercury Phoenix Trust, along with Brian and Roger, partnered with a charity auction site, uh, Givergy, to offer fans the chance to bid on items to help raise funds in the fight against HIV and AIDS. Uh, and some of the stuff that you can bid for or have been able to bid for is uh, Roger's signed drum kit, uh, drumsticks, kit would be different, wouldn't it? And the sweatshirt that Roger wore during the Freddie Mercury tribute concert, which I thought was lovely. Uh, Where, what can you still bid I don't know uh, I've What's got a link website? I can send you a link the page is active until the 30th of September 2020 oh my goodness so you've got Where nine days left to bid what's it called UK <laughs> forward slash MP trust forward slash question mark controller equals home how do you spell Givergy give and then RGY on the end of it UK. okay I'm looking this up now guys we could get some we could get they're signed jeans stuff. worn by Brian during the rehearsals for the tribute concert. It's all going on. Ah, oh, they'd be too long for me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only reason you're not bidding, isn't it, Sue? Yeah, yeah. I wish I was. I wish I wasn't five one because they'd look great otherwise. I think this is great because obviously, like pretty much most charities, you know, the the lockdown has really hit their ability to raise funds. You know, yeah. which still do such great important work, and I think. You know, this is a really good way of uh, sort of trying to keep those all important funds coming in. So I hope mm. people really, really get into it, even though everyone's got their own troubles at the moment. There's still a big, big fight against AIDS going on. Yeah, there is. It's on the rise. Um, yeah. So there we are. Uh, well, um, uh, John feverishly looks to see whether he can <laughs> buy Roger's sweatshirt. Um <laughs> Uh, on the 17th of September, A Kind of Magic Making the Original Highlander book was released, which uh, includes contributions from Brian and Roger on their on Queen's involvement with the soundtrack, which is pretty cool. Uh, and on the 18th of September, uh, Queen released a YouTube video to promote the upcoming Live Around the World Queen and Lambert, Adam Lambert DVD. But I think we talked about that on the previous podcast, so I'm kind mm. of happy to leave that there. Simon, Suze, John, have you got any other little bits of queen news for this section this week or have i done an amazingly rapid job here (laughs) breaking news is that roger's sweatshirt is no longer on the uh, giver g so i don't know what's happened it's someone may have come in with a monster bid (laughs) maybe he just changed his mind he went no i'm not getting rid of that i use that to do my painting in (laughs) (laughs) wow how much do you reckon it sold for how much would you have paid for that sweatshirt. Well, you know, Freddie's yellow jacket was sold at auction. How much did that <gasps> Really? Sell? Years and years ago, it was sold at auction, and I think it went for like 20 or 30 grand. That mm. seems not enough. Yeah, well, I, I think, think it would go for like be- a million now. Well, yeah. you say that, so I, 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 I'm, you might be talking like mid to late 90s when mm. Queen were probably, over all of the past 
you know, 50 years may have been at their lowest popularity, for want of a better word, Mm. but they certainly weren't in the headlines a lot. And there was a, on I think it was on a Queen forum, someone had been to see it exhibited after the sale and they said it kind of, the it looked bad. Like the the Uh, leather had sort of failed and it started to turn green. uh, Uh, Because obviously, you know, it, it would have been... 20 years old mm. yeah but I, I that would be the one thing I after Brian's guitar that would be the one thing I would like to own yeah. so if you can sort that out for me please Simon just the guitar <laughs> or the jacket either yeah either. I, I have worn um, Freddie's uh, jacket that he wore uh, when they did um, Live at Milton Keynes you know the white one with the black oh yeah sort of lightning have you really yeah it was at one of the, the Mercury Phoenix Trust things and oh, they he's reaching for his shelf as John we brought Straight it away. Along. There it is. is. That one. Ah. Oh, wow. uh, no, hang on. I'll see if I can. I'll go and I might lose myself on my phone where I try and find a picture. But um, so someone sent me a photo of Freddie they took on stage, and I'm pretty sure this is an unpublished photo. It's the it's only t- time Freddie Mercury ever wore a flat cap. Yeah. I was going to oh, say, wow. is he performing in Yorkshire or something? And he went, "Had this will be <laughs> hilarious." Oh, they're arrows. That's really. Is that sort of yeah. part of the hot space oh, yeah. tour then when he had all his arrows going on? Yeah. Yeah, that may have been body language styled. Mm. <laughs> I'm having one of those jackets made, the yellow jacket. Are you? Yeah, I've I've got to send off all my measurements and I keep putting it off because I'm like, oh, I'll get all thin soon and do it then. <laughs> but... Are you getting it from from the same place I got mine from, the Bespoke Jacket Company? No, no. Someone I know who makes costumes is doing it for me in in, oh, um, wow. in the best pleather she could get. She sent me a sample of it and it's excellent. Oh, who did yours then? Some bespoke Jacket Company. Is that what yeah, they're called? Um, I'll, I'll find you the link. They also uh-huh. do um, all of Michael Jackson's leather jackets. I see. Did you go to the 2012 Phoenix Trust no. show? Uh, Why did so I you sang Bar- Yeah, I sang Barcelona. <gasps> How was oh. that? Wait, who's what? Wow! <laughs> Which bit of Barcelona? You didn't sing the Montserrat Balliers. Did bit. you? Yeah. No way! How yeah. hard was that to do? And who did you sing it with? Um, Mark Martel. <gasps> wow! Oh my God! There's no. But there were. I mean, look, there were a few of us. Um, it was organised because I I, uh, I went to the Royal Academy of Music and they organised, they wouldn't, some singers, so some previous uh, singers who, Stuart Morley, who was mm-hmm. MD of We Will Rock You, he taught at the Academy and he got a few of us back to sing. Yeah. And, and Mark Martel sang uh, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon. Oh, Because he, wow. he was like, he, he said, oh, I want to do one that I want to do. And I what thought, you know, which greatest hits banger is he going to do? Because he can really sing. Obviously, yeah. he's one of the only people who actually sounds like Freddie. Yeah. Um, although his voice is uh, a lot smaller, yeah, if that makes sense. It's a lot more contained, right. which is in no way an insult. But yeah, it's it, it, he's containing everything. Anyway, he sang and he got up and sang Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon. I was oh. like, oh, what a cool choice. That's so <laughs> lovely. I bet everyone yeah. was thrilled. Uh, yeah, it was Mark great. did some of the vocal work on the Queen movie, right? Am I, am I yes. mentioning that? Yes. I think a, when yeah, it's not recordings of Freddie, it's Mark Martell. Oh, I, 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 I like could be wrong, but I don't three, think. I think. Yeah. yeah, I don't know which bits Rami Malek's actually singing. Um, 
Simon, I think, does. If ever I bring up the movie, just cut it. He definitely he won the Oscar for acting, not for singing, didn't he? Bless him. Um, News just in. Yeah. Uh, Roger's sweatshirt is available in the auction. However, it's part of a prize draw, so you can buy tickets to win Roger's oh. sweatshirt and Brian's signed jeans that he wore in a rehearsal. <laughs> wow. Uh, and I've posted a link on the chat, Suze, to the company that make Freddie oh, Mercury's great. jackets. It's called thejacketshop.co.uk. Oh, cool. Right. Is yours leather? Uh, yes. I, I l- luckily decided to uh, there it is. go vegan after buying the jacket. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, this has been one oh, of the most... Oh, look at that. Uh, Sorry, that was that was a great tangent, but a tangent nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a, a very commercial edition of this week's news of the world. Thank you very much. Uh, please contribute to charities and keep everyone alive. Uh, let's get back to the works with the um, third song in this lovely run, this beautiful finish to um, the run from. Uh, Tenement Funster through to uh, through Flick of the Wrist to Lily of the Valley written by Freddie Mercury it's 1 minute 43 seconds long um, uh, it was released as a B-side on Now I'm Here on the 17th of January 1975 um, and the lyrics feature a callback to the Seven Seas of Rye messenger from Seven Seas has flown uh, to tell the King of Rye's lost his throne. So, again, that's that fantasy world that Freddie had created with his sister as a kid. He's credited as Freddie for both lead and backing vocals on the track, as well as piano, which is amazing. Uh, and in 1999, December 1999, uh, in an interview with Mojo, the music magazine, Brian said, Freddie's stuff was so heavily cloaked lyrically, but you could find out just from little insights that a lot of his private thoughts were in there although a lot of the more meaningful stuff was not very accessible. Lily of the Valley was utterly heartfelt. It's about looking at his girlfriend and realising that his body needed to be somewhere else. It's a great piece of art, but it's the last song that would ever be a hit. Which is quite amazing, and I, I wasn't, I've never really picked up on that until this point, but what a beautiful uh, way to uh, like to play this song on. Absolutely incredible. That's a, that is a quote from Brian. I'm not trying to, you know court controversy or anything um right let's have a little listen to lily of the valley i am forever searching high and low but why does everybody tell me no neptune of the seas an answer for me please the lily of the valley
it's beautiful. Come on, Suze, let's re- let you re- let rip on Lily of the Valley. <laughs> it feels like this is right in your wheelhouse. <laughs> what a vocal. Right. What an amazing vocal. But choices um, made in his vocal are, they're really classy choices because he could really belt out the last half of that song, really. Um, but he only really lets it go on each time I grow old. And then it's almost brought back. It's like he's trying to contain emotion for the rest of the song, uh, which is a, a really, yeah, it's just a really classy vocal choice to make. Mm-hmm. He's not a show off. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and uh, the reason I started it on the second verse there was I just love the harmonies through that second verse where you got that mm. low... Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Is mm-hmm. it like a little counter melody? I'm trying to learn little musical phrases from things <laughs> that you say. But it's it's gorgeous. And if he's doing his yeah. own backing vocals on this, it's Yeah, amazing. I didn't realise it was him just layering up his own vocals. Mm. That's I wonder really if the others did contribute. I'm sure they must have done. But, um, it's a very personal it, is it, song. Is it possible that that bit where he's... he's so what voice is he in, Suze, when he's going... Um, uh, I follow every course, my kingdom for a horse. That was I've, the high one. Oh, that's he's in falsetto. He's so in Freddie's. With, I follow with that, every horse. So what's the backing vocal in? Because that's very low. Oh yeah. Well, this is the crazy thing about Freddie's voice that um, I heard. I, it's either him talking about it or Montserrat Caballé talking about it when they did the Barcelona album. She said to him, "Oh, you should sing more in your." Um, natural baritone voice and we rarely ever hear him sing in that voice and he's sort of doing that he's at he's at the lower end of the baritone range which we hear so rarely mm. it's such I a soothing if, sound isn't it sorry John mm. I just wonder if that contrast of the line coarse and horse is the mm-hmm. is the biggest difference we see in Freddie's vocals when being sung at the same time. Right. Oh <laughs> yeah, that's a really. <laughs> I'd love to know how many octaves apart the coarse and horse. It must are. be at least two. Mm. So you're ta- you've least. talked a lot about how because we don't. I think you don't really hear. You know, you would normally hear Roger doing some sort of soprano caper over the top of it. You don't in that bit. Yeah. And you've yeah. talked a lot. His about... vocal is at the top of the song. Yeah. Right. So. If Fred's hitting, you know, did you say high B flats and stuff like that? Sometimes, yeah, he's, like on a, he's around there. I think you mentioned oh, in impromptu, he's yeah. an octave above this. That's yeah. crazy. Um, yeah. But what is Roger doing? Is he hitting like top C's and stuff? <laughs> no, it's actually no higher. It's just oh, his right. sound. He's um, with his vocal folds, which is what we used to call vocal cords, but he's pulling them a lot thinner than Freddie did. So Freddie's just got a bigger more rangy voice than Roger Roger had more ease getting up there but he can pull his vocal folds thin very easily so he's and there's also the Roger always has a tiny bit of air escaping if you think of your um they're folds of muscle your vocal cords so if you think of them like that there'll always be like a tiny bit of air coming out with Roger which is what creates that slight husk on everything he does even if he's right up there whereas Freddie can really open and close that with a, a with comparative ease, like with almost complete ease, and like it's amazing. A lot more control. Yeah. My God, listeners, look at what look at that! You're not going to get that on another podcast. <laughs> My God, how amazing! Well, Sorry, so, go on, John. Suze, mm. does that mean that 
would it be fair to say when Roger is taking the high note, it's mm. because they need a sort of a screech, not to say it's unpleasant yeah. to listen to or out of tune or anything, but it's so that bit at the mm. start of Lap of the Gods where it goes yes. really ah, high. Yeah. So that, that suits Roger's high note more than Freddie's because it is that slightly yes. screechy Freddy, sound. Freddie would um, uh, really close his folds on that <laughs> mm. so yeah and and that's why it it's almost a more um feminine vocal yeah. sound that roger's got up there um so his falsetto is very distinctive compared to his natural singing voice whereas freddie's falsetto isn't distinctive compared to his natural singing voice which is the holy grail of singing you want your voice to sound congruent from the bottom of its range to the top um, yeah, so that would be exactly why. Yeah, you've touched on something there that I uh, that I've always thought about. It it's just made me think of it, which is uh, you know a lot. Of, you know, if you had uh, the Rolling Stones say or whatever, and you hear that sort of female vocal, you know, they brought a female mm. in to do the vocal. Oh, so yeah. I, before I realised it was all Roger doing it, I just assumed they had female right. singers coming in to do it, and I think probably yeah. casual listeners would just assume that without ever realising. Mm-hmm. No, no, that is four men making all of this noise. Yeah. Four men can do this noise, and that is amazing. Roger yeah. has that capability. And, and that people wouldn't necessarily believe that they could recreate it live on stage. I mean, obviously they can't when it's in 16 parts, but uh, it was on the the Adam Lambert uh, documentary that's on The one Netflix, that Simon which made. Simon, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they talk, yeah. Congrats, congrats. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> but they talk about, they say, like, oh, people don't believe we're doing it live. And then there's a bit with um, Adam, Roger and Brian in the dressing room just practising their harmonies. And you go, oh, yeah, look, course. and it sounds perfect. And I and wish there was, yeah, it makes it, it sort of brings a tear to your eye because Adam's amazing, obviously, yeah. but you want to hear it with Freddie. Yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I, wish I, I wish there was loads of footage of them recreating this yeah. in a dressing room space yeah. and it's not like they wrote in uh, they didn't write on manuscript right they just had their own little writing language or did they use manuscript uh, paper like um oh i don't know no, I, don't, I, I don't yeah i'm not sure they ever sort of wrote it out uh, you know as musical i think that's when they came to do the musical it was really hard because no one had ever actually committed it to gotcha manuscript amazing because i've got amazing. the greatest hits I've got the um, complete arrangement of every song, but they mu- it must have come later. Uh, well, someone else has done the band it, yeah. Because yeah. I had a whole collection of the of the scores for each album, mm. um, but obviously someone else had sat down and got that done. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, shall we move on to the final track on this side of the album? What a track to finish on, eh? It's yes. a monster. <laughs> it is Now I'm Here by Brian May. It's a righteous four minutes and ten seconds and hopefully familiar to most listeners given it is on Greatest Hits, and rightly so. Um, it was released uh, as a single on the 17th of January 1975 uh, and it reached number 11 on the UK charts uh, on, uh, the week beginning the 9th of February uh, 1975. Do you want to hear what beat... Uh, what prevented uh, uh, Now I'm Here from getting into the top 10. We've oh, got yeah. At number 10, Footsie by Wigan's Chosen Few. Uh, number nine, uh, Make Me Smile, Come Up and See Me by Steve Harley and the Cockney Rebels. It's an amazing song, so fine. Uh, eight, Morning Side of the Mountain by Donny and Marie Osmond. Seven, Years Before um, Fast and the Furious Hobbs and Shaw. Uh, number seven, Black Superman by Muhammad Ali. 
number six, The Bump by Kenny. Five, Angie Baby by Helen Reddy. Four, Goodbye My Love by The Glitter Band. Three, Sugar Candy Kisses by Mac and Katie Kassoon. Two, Mister uh, Please Mr. Postman by The Carpenters, Fair Play. And number one, January by Pilot. And you just think, I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay, uh, uh, two tracks there that I definitely know and are fantastic uh, mm. and by bands that are huge. But, um, you know, you're crashing in with this number. You know, uh, early on uh, in my Queen Life, uh, listening to the greatest hits, you know, funny sort of thing. That was the track on greatest hits because I got that. I think before I'd gotten a lot of these uh, albums, and it was always the track for me. That one, out of all of those greatest hits numbers, that I was just like, I never, ever, ever get bored of hearing mm. "Now I'm Here." Ever, it is always awesome. The riffs are awesome. The 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 moving of the sound and the echoes all around you while you're listening to it it is built for listening to on headphones actually that's all. or live uh, which is incredible um yeah uh well i've got some stuff to say about it but go on you guys can react a bit first it's not all about me <laughs> <laughs> it's it's such a huge riff yeah. it's it's a it's a monster riff yeah that the do 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 it's so good and we've been talking a lot about you know the the different styles in this album so the music hall we've been talking about ballads we've been talking about stuff that's a bit proggy and then suddenly there's just this enormous rock song Yeah. yeah and it it goes and it's another thing that we will probably go to talk more about in terms of brian as over the next four or five albums huge rock songs that would be on like top gears rock anthems <laughs> albums because they're they're that good yeah, yeah yeah and um it's sort of another string to the may bow absolutely 
uh, alongside the solos are these just like sort of fat bottom girls and tie your mother down mm-hmm. and one vision and sweet lady as well hammer to fall hammer to fall huge riffs yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One, one vision yeah, i mean it's crazy yeah i, I think i want that, it all that that break yeah. into the riff on now i'm here is one of the great oh it's stunning and, and in in any other band i think this would have been the opening track on the album because it'd be like it's a complete no-brainer that this is the opening track. Yeah. This is your one vision. This is your tie yeah, your mother yeah, down. Yeah. But but no, they save it till the end of side mm. one. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because then, in a funny sort of way, Brian creates an ellipsis around that first half of the album where he opens with mm. Brian, uh, Brian Rock and closes with Now I'm Here, and it's beautiful, particularly given the context in which this album was recorded. Um, the song and a, a live. It was played live for. Over a decade, wasn't it? So it's the only song on their live set that that they kept uh, they kept it in set list of every concert tour from 1974 until their final tour in '86. Wow! Really? Imagine oh, right. that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Didn't they do something fun where like they dress up some a stagehand as they Freddie, did. They and did. so he'd appear on different bits of the stage? Yeah. yeah. So on the Sheer Heart Attack tour, Freddie would appear on one side of the stage singing "Now I'm Here," and then on the other side of the stage a few bars later, uh, and that was an illusion created in an identically dressed stagehand, uh, <laughs> which is absolutely yeah, perfect little. How much more theatrical (laughs) could you get? That is an actual theatrical technique to do teleporting on stage and brilliantly done and mischievously done. And uh, also they used it in interesting ways. uh, uh, Is it on Live Killers where it breaks down in the middle and they go into some other stuff and then come back to it? Uh, I can't remember which album it is on, but they, they, you know, rightly kept it live because it's it's just a banging rocker. Apparently the song draws on May's fond experiences of the band's curtailed US tour earlier in 74, which Simon was talking about. Uh, they're supporting Mott the Hoople. And the band are, refra- are referenced in the line um, down in the city, just Hoople and me. And in 98, Brian admitted that he had fallen in love in New Orleans during their tour. I mean, he was married at the time, so during their <laughs> support tour support, ah, uh, being in a rock and roll band. Uh, but it's so Brian to be like he fell in love. He didn't have a yeah. He like he didn't just sleep around. He's such so sensitive, yeah, gentle soul. Yeah. I can I can totally imagine, you know, Roger going off and having his fifth conquest of the week. I don't and, think and Brian he... just sitting in his hotel room. He might yeah. He would just be sort of um, moping about a girl. He was. I in think love yeah. With. I think yeah. it might have been just a little bit of rapture. I'm not sure that this was consummated mm. anyway because um, uh, he he just spent the day with a woman known only as Peaches, and she's. She's obviously referenced as well down in the dungeon, just Peaches and Me. And for years, I'm like, mm. I thought that was a reference to like Joseph in the te- Technicolor Dreamcoat, you know, and he's close <laughs> every daughter and all he's got is Peaches to live on. But <laughs> I've now found out, no, it was a, a lady. Um, in 2005, Q Magazine placed the song at number 33 in its list of 100 greatest guitar tracks, which is fair play, I think. It is a great guitar track. Um, and the call and response vocals... This is where you guys are going to have to help me understand what this means. Uh, This is what I want to ask you. So I have found out that the call and response vocals required five quarter inch tape machines running at different speeds, which when they were running, left the whole room humming. Uh, So the way in which they did that call and response obviously required a lot of recording equipment that was noisy. I understand that much. But if I'm honest, my understanding of recording to tape and wearing the tape thin and layering and all of that 
is so, I'm slightly understand it by puppeting. <laughs> and I wanted to ask you guys, can you explain to me what these non-digital analog recording techniques were like and try and explain for the listeners why it is amazing what these guys have done to give you the music that you are listening to right now? I can't. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe producer Giles knows because he knows a bit about recording. What can you give us as an interim ah. answer? The, um, the, the, the bouncing. Simon's re- referred to bouncing already. Basically, if you wanted to layer stuff up on an, on an analog eight-track recorder or mixer, you could record seven tracks. This is a tape, right? A tape. Yeah, this is actually to physical okay. tape. This is something I've done in my life. I've, I, I, I used to have a four-track tape recorder. You used to put cassettes in it, and it would split the tape into four tracks. And so you could have a maximum of four different things playing at the same time. Ah. However, if you wanted to to get more onto the track, you'd have to record, say, drums on tracks one, two, and three, and then bounce what tracks one, two, and three onto track four. Ah. And then if you wanted to record guitars, if you wanted to have two guitars, you'd have to do tracks one and two and bounce them onto track three. So as you're recording, you're kind of losing space on the tape. It also meant that anything you recorded, once you bounced it, you couldn't remix it compared to the other instruments. If you have three guitars and you bounce them onto track four, they're going to sound like that forever. The reason you'd have tapes running at different speeds is so that when you overdub, well, I'm not sure actually about that, was it to create (laughs) the buzz in the room? Because obviously if you have several machines that are all designed the same way, all the same age and doing the exact same thing, they're going to make one louder unified sound. If you have five machines doing different things, um, it's kind of like overdubbing. The reason you record the same guitar track physically five times right, is right. because of the tiny little differences that yeah. the human ear can pick up on that lets a human know that it's five different guitar tracks all smashed together. The same thing would work with machine buzz, I guess. Yeah, no, they weren't doing machine buzz on purpose. It was literally the oh, physical was... act of having five <laughs> machines recording this thing were loud. They were they 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 were loud. It was an a bit unwanted like trying sound. to do a podcast when your MacBook fan is going crazy. Yes, <laughs> and if you were doing five podcasts at once, the sound of five MacBook fans would actually just start to drown you out. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's the differences in the tracks that that you're picking up on as a human being. That's why it sounds bigger, rather than just taking a track. In, in the right ear and then mirroring it exactly just just apple c apple Ving that track onto the left ear the human ear would still recognize that as being the same track repeated right. if you move that track just a, a quarter of a, like a, a sixth of a second to the uh, out of time yeah. then the human ear starts hearing it would hear it as different tracks and the fact that you can hear it in the singing as well when there's overdubbing just just Every now and again, just one syllable will be slightly differently sung to to to, to the same tracks that's Freddie's. But that keeps it sounding done. organic, I guess, as well, right? Which is kind of cool. And that it sounds, explains... it sounds fresher. It sounds live, and it definitely sounds bigger. So when Simon was talking about father to son, I think it was, and how many guitars were layered up on that tape, so it was all going. Or was it on March of Black Queen? I can't remember now. But uh, you know, you are talking about they they're taking this stuff to the nth degree, right? That's. Mm. Imagine what they would have been capable of if they had digital technology from this time. Mm. <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. insane. Well, but, but it wouldn't have sounded as good. Yes. Because that's why that's why lots of uh, sound engineers and audiophiles get very 
fussy about why you should use analog equipment and you should play records on record players is because what they would do now is there would be a a garage band setting to recreate the sound of machine buzz or you would get you can you can get like i don't know what what are they called where you like you've got an abbey road setting or you've got a rockfield setting oh right? yeah like the it's like instagram filters Atmos but <laughs> yeah yeah but that's not going to sound as good as recording on tape at abbey road or at rockfield mm. if you look in garage band for example there are there are effects that you can apply to your guitar called things yeah. like royal rock which are exactly basically basically they, they don't want to say this is how you how you sound like queen but it's clear they're they're hinting towards it yeah yeah this is you the difference with the would be, <laughs> the difference would be is it would take you half an hour as opposed to a day mm. Or, and it would probably and it would be a lot cheaper. Well, it also well that's a good point because I think it also produces excellence. JJ Abrahams was uh, Abrahams was talking about uh, why he always films on film rather than digitally, and he said it's because everyone takes it more seriously because this film gets taken to the lab and treated extremely carefully, and and, and the editors treat it all extremely carefully. That whole film is now treated completely differently. Like, and I think. What you were saying here, that the, 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 it wouldn't have been as good as that, the digital technology then, is because they were being pushed to see what they can do with this technology and how they could be excellent with it and how many times can we layer stuff without losing the information. The information being, you know, I mean, how did they feel when like a tape snapped or... You know, did they have to start all over again or someone played the wrong note or sang the wrong note and they had to start it all again? You know, this stuff was hard fought for, hard won and well earned and it sounds bloody amazing. And so <laughs> I think we should listen to some more. I'm going to listen to um, the end of the track. I love the uh, go, go, go little queenie moment because I love all references <laughs> to queens and queen songs. So um, uh, let's, let's, uh, let's bring it home with the end of this massive, mighty, mighty track here. Now I've played that bit, there just wasn't enough of it. But <laughs> the reason I played it is because that little bit, it reminds me of Fat Bottom Girls does this to me as well. If I sit and close my eyes with headphones on and listen to what the guitars are up to, each time I hear this song, I'm hearing something new that I haven't heard before. And I must have heard it hundreds of times. At the um, Freddie Mercury tribute concert, it was played with Def Leppard. It and was. they then released that version as a B-side to a single um, and that was included on the deluxe edition of their Adrenalize album. Wow. I'm not a I'm not a huge Def Leppard aficionado, but luckily that's why Google exists. <laughs> I just love the stereo album. That's, that's that's all of Def Leppard for me. I love every track <laughs> on that album. Um Are you getting it? Yes, I'm a getting it. Alright, so <laughs> <laughs> that does bring us to the end of the uh, first half of this mighty album. Can Shiata. I say one more thing? Please do, yeah. 
So it only occurred to me on this listen, uh, in preparation for this episode. So this song is really encapsulates the feeling of something amazing is about to happen to us. It's like now I'm here and something amazing is about to happen. So on ah. the equivalent I know of that for musical theatre is there's a song in West Side Story called Something's Coming. And I went, oh, now I'm here is the something's coming of hard rock. So <laughs> you'll, if you hear it, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> OK, yeah, well, that's, that's really interesting. <laughs> and I said it out loud and my mum went, Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys did similar well, yeah I mean no but it's beautiful it's, it's nice to know that there are songs in musical theatre that copy Queen so <laughs> <laughs> so they did 20 years before this <laughs> um, but there's also a really American a bit like Tenement Funster as well there's a real American vibe to this it could be a Boston song it could be you know it's, that, it's not necessarily as British a song as Say Killer Queen. Killer Queen is essentially a very British uh, sort of. It's 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 got that vaudeville trappings and all that kind of stuff. Whereas now I'm here kind of has that more open feel. It's reflective of the fact that it's a you know inspired by a moment that he enjoyed in America. Um, well, there's, there's America's new bride to an, me. You know. An eye on America with this album. Right. There's quite a few nod, nods to America whilst also maintaining a very British feel. But you can you can tell they're starting to think we can break America, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. which they would go on to do. Yeah, yeah, it's true. A few one times. of the very few British bands to actually do it. Yeah, yeah. It's it's bizarrely hard. Yeah, De- yeah. Def Leppard yeah. did it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, that's absolutely unhelpful. I agree with you completely, John. Queen definitely are amazing of having done that. Um, and also, the, there's a slight similarity with Elton John I guess that he is a quintessentially English mm. performer and well no not performer's the wrong word but his sense of humour and is so British yeah and he is enormous in America yeah. and and was from he actually broke America before he broke England in a mad way right. mm. and there is before I want to break free and Hot Space and Queen falling off in America when they were luckily in a position to go it doesn't matter because we're big in South America and Europe and Japan and whatever there is a world in which Queen and Elton John are England and America's biggest sort of export mm. musicians but well the Rolling Stones in a, in a, as well I think and maybe Bowie yeah but, yeah. It, but it, what's weird with Elton is how they the American market were quite com- were more comfortable with his camp um and sort of outrageousness in a way that they weren't with with queen mm. well yeah they mm. gave him a residency in vegas <laughs> yeah <laughs> for yeah. decades and but they found i think i don't know that there, there, there is something so outrageous about freddie that i think it was more the the media it feels like the media were a bit of a he was a bit of a lightning rod for attacks in the media. Elton went through the same actually. In fairness, he went through a lot of shit in the media. Um, right. Oh, and still does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Uh, and unfairly, but um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. I'm not quite sure. You know, it's funny, isn't it, that 
like the I want to break free video kind of mm. caused so much America America were disgusted by it and I think you know. the reason is that they were unapologetic yeah mm. so if they'd been in their drag going oh sorry they they would have gone well at least they're apologizing Which is... but they weren't they didn't apologize I love the idea of all those Americans with handlebar moustaches and tight jeans and white t-shirts going, hey, we trusted you. Yeah. <laughs> we, we thought you were one of the guys from down at the bar. We didn't know whether this moustache and tight jeans and tight t-shirt meant something else. <laughs> Whereas I guess with Elton, because he's dressed up like a, you know, an in, insane right. tropical bird or yes. a duck, yeah. it feels more pantomime. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I mean, okay, Queen were unapologetic, but I mean, Americans are... F- but if ways, you're gonna you know, go into their country, you better apologise. Right, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's wonderful to see how beautifully they've embraced the music now. I mean, you know, uh, mm. Queen are huge over there, and it's it's absolutely wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. And I think actually Freddie's story has come at a timely moment for America, where they're sort of mm-hmm. being a lot more conscious of. Um, uh, of a lot of the plights of the world in some ways in some ways and otherwise they're just a nightmare but um, that's not most of it and also we, we should point out it wasn't like the British press said oh great a, a gay performer how accepting no absolutely no. Let is it a British a magazine that said yeah. well yeah yeah but is it a, was it a, the British magazine that had the headline is, is, is this, this man, man a prat? prat yeah that was that was the enemy <laughs> But then in the interview said, so what about being bent? Right. And Freddie Mercury said something like, you're a crafty cow. (laughs) (laughs) Or something like that. Mm. But yeah, and and the coverage, I mean, let's not get into it now, but the coverage Mm. after he died. Oh my God. Disgusting. We have had an amazing time uh, looking at this side of the album. We're about to have a massive row, I suspect. But uh, <laughs> on the next <laughs> podcast, next uh, next time, we are going to be looking at side at B, which is just as awesome. It opens with In the Lap of the Gods. You've got Stone Cold Crazy in there, which is the first track written by all four of them, uh, credited by, was written by Queen. Uh, Dear Friends, Beautiful Misfire by John Deacon. Uh, bring Back That Leroy Brown. Uh, she Makes Me, Stormtrooper in Stiletto and in the lap of the gods revisited all wonderful tracks and interesting to talk to uh, talk about i can't wait so that's going to be exciting but this now brings us to queen de la queen made in heaven made in heaven all right so uh, just before we get into this I just want to say, at Indie Solo has set up a Queen de la Queen on spe- uh, playlist on Spotify. If you guys want to uh, check that out, uh, it might be easy for you. We've tweeted out the link for that. At Splat Eric has also done a wider playlist of all the tracks we're playing, which we'll also link to. Bless him, he's just putting all the songs that we play on a playlist, which just means he's putting all Queen songs into a playlist, <laughs> and I love it. Um, so, we are on Queen de la Queen uh, for today, and obviously we have two humongous tracks from the Greatest Hits 1 album, um, or from She Heart Attack, but also appear on Greatest Hits 1. We're not going to include include those in this discussion. Uh, they are there, you've got them if you want them. The Queen de la Queen is for you to sit uh, alongside Greatest Hits 1 and 2, so... I think that makes everyone happy, yes? So out of all the tracks remaining, uh, who is putting what, wants to put what in uh, the uh, um, in the Queen de la Queen? Sue, should we start with you? I'm going to go for Brighton Rock mm. because 
It's got everything Queen in it. Mm. It's got an audacious start to the album. Mm. And it's got Brian's iconic solo that became a real staple of live Queen. Interesting. Very interesting. So it's an easy decision to make. Okay. Beautiful. For me. Very well put. And Simon? I would be very tempted to agree with Suze on all of those points because she's absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) Cannot argue with any of that. However, the one that I would like to put on is because I think it's about time we welcomed Mr. Taylor to the Queen de la Queen. (laughs) I'm going to go for Tenement Funster. Are you? Are you? Uh, And John, you're going for flick of the wrist, right? So I'm... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go on, John. Please make your case. I'm going for Brighton Rock because I... Personally, it's one of the most important songs in my life. I think it's the best. I think it's Queen's best song. Hmm. Um, or, oh, I don't know if I do. I, I, <laughs> it's the most I enjoy listening to their music. If I had to pick a one, only one Queen song, I know I said this about uh, Fairy Feathers Masterstroke, and probably my you Fairy did, King. You did, but, but that's the whole point. For, <laughs> but for me, Brighton Rock is so completely queen because it's oh it it is audacious and it is theatrical but it is also just got a great riff in there and it's really catchy and i just love it to bits Mm -hmm. uh it is an amazing track um i sort of have the same relationship with it on a, a much lower end of the scale uh, as say for example you're kind of on that scale with Flick of the Wrist um, in that I, I mean I adore it to bits and yet over the years it's sort of a track I wouldn't necessarily include on my mixtapes or playlists or whatever purely because it's fun when it comes around uh, sometimes it isn't as fun when it comes around a lot of times because it but has it's so that, unusual. But it's as well. very long and very guitar-y. It's not very long. It's, it's exactly the same time as Ronnie O'Sullivan's fastest ever 147. <laughs> <laughs> it's five minutes, eight seconds. You could you could play them both. You could I would, O'Sullivan's that is, I would love to do that. Oh, <laughs> my God. Listening to Brighton Why Rock. has no one put... Can we do that immediately? Is that something, Have you got the power to do that? Producer Charles. I would love uh, just that would take just be that one four seven and put it to Brighton Rock. Oh my god, that's nearly tipped me. So okay, look, <laughs> I think on this album, Brighton Rock uh, uh, for me, Tenement Funster, um, uh, 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 Killer Queen. Now I'm here, uh, uh, and and actually, Flick of the Wrist. All of those uh, deserve to be considered or labelled as Queen de la Queen type tracks. Obviously. Uh, Killer Queen and now I'm here are safe um, uh, and I, I genuinely it wasn't really until uh, this morning that I just kind of went okay t- today where I'm at I'm afraid to say is with Mr Simon Lupton with Tenement no Funster which no I way. love however however on this occasion I'm going to allow Brighton Rock to go into ah. oh that's huge it's a huge decision <laughs> is there var <laughs> well i have the casting vote i acknowledge that i'm with you entirely simon now i genuinely the i could not be happier that brighton, brighton rock, rock is exactly. on there because it is <laughs> such a great 
track. It is. It is. End it of. Is. And 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 I think also we will have other other chances for Rogers Rockers to get in, but you don't get another track like Brighton Rock for the rest of the output. No, it's I so, it's That's so unusual. True, but except for profits. And the, but also, um, do you know what? Out of all of Rogers Rockers. Tenement Funster's the best one. I, it's, it's the best a, one. Is is it? What, we'll you find Rocket out. Prime Drive, do you? Um, Hang on a sec. I've just realised that Drowse isn't a Roger song. It is a Roger song. It's not on the Wikipedia page of Roger it's Taylor. Races, <laughs> and it is the song that he wrote. Oh. Okay, great. Don't worry. Well, then, your knowledge sorry. is secure. Phew. I'm not even looking it up. That's how confident I am on that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, so well done. Congratulations for getting Brighton Rock in. Yeah. And that was a decision I made in the very moment based on uh, both Sue's and John's impassioned plea, knowing full well <laughs> at that point that I was siding with Simon. Wow. What, it's been a pleasure, guys. What a monster what a show. Side. What a show. Let's bring it home, guys. Uh, there we have it. Um, let us cling together as the pods go by. Please email us with your stories and questions. Queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Comment at thequeenpod on Twitter and Instagram. And please take the time to give us a star rating on your podcast platform and even give us a little review. They've been lovely, these little reviews you guys have been putting up. And it's so encouraging for us. It will really help us to keep going. And above all, spread the word wherever you are amongst all your Queen fan buddies. Um, so thank you to Suze, Simon, John and producer Charles. Goodbye! Goodbye. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye-bye. This has been The Queen Pod, a Seven Seas Films production, edited and produced by me, Fergus March. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram and stay in touch by emailing queenpod at thequeenpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.